So yesterday we talked about a difficult subject, uh, one that is hard to understand intellectually and hard, frankly, to, uh, to reckon with. We talked about why God brings hard times into our lives. And, and if you remember, the answer was because he wants us to make sure that we are not uh, depending on ourselves and trusting ourselves, but we are looking to him and trusting him and submitting to his will. Today, Solomon deals with a similar kind of thorny question, a hard one. Uh, we've all seen this. We, we know good people who die way too young, we would say prematurely, and wicked people who seem to have a long, blessed life. And Solomon inter- interacts with that question a little bit today, and his answer, his response to it is kind of surprising. And it's one of those passages that we have to be very careful to see what Solomon is actually saying, what he's not saying, because some have taken this passage to draw very uh, dangerous conclusions. So we're going to talk about that today as we continue our study of Ecclesiastes. Welcome, everyone. My name is Doug. I'm the president of Cross to Crown Ministries and New Covenant School of Theology. And uh, we do these daily Bible studies because we want to be renewed in our minds and grow in our understanding of the things of God so that we won't be conformed to this world, but we will be transformed. So glad you're here. That's what we're going to do. Uh, Good morning, Martha. Uh, Good morning, Jenny. Thanks for qualifying that you are Jenny (laughs) when you're logging on with uh, Josh's uh, account there. Uh, Kenichiwa, Dale Waters. Very good. Welcome, everybody. Glad that you could be with us this morning. I'm going to uh, pester you again, plug again. Uh, the class, it starts next Monday at the New Covenant School of Theology. If you are new with us, uh, the New Covenant School of Theology is an online uh, seminary pastoral training school and, but you don't have to be a pastor or a training pastor to, uh, uh, to be part of it. Uh, good morning, Keith. Glad you joined us as well. Um, it's for any Christian, really. And uh, this next course, it starts on Monday. It's uh, Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter, and Jude. It's a lot. It's a lot of ground to cover, but it's really, really good, really rich. So you can uh, audit or you can take it for credit. You could get an MDiv if you really want to be ambitious and get a Master of Divinity degree, or you can get a Certificate of Biblical Theology, or you could just join us. It's all on Zoom, 5.30 to 8.30, Monday, Tuesday nights, uh, Mountain Time. And uh, anyway, so if you are interested in those uh, biblical books and want to dive in a little deeper... Then, uh, then sign up. You can apply at the New Covenant School of Theology.org. Sorry, there's no the. New Covenant School of Theology.org is the link and apply there and uh, then we'll get you set up. All right, so you know what time it is. I hope you have your coffee. And more importantly, I hope you are ready to declare truth. And you got to say it out loud. You, you can't just. You can't just say this in your head. You've got to say it out loud. You need to make sure that uh, that you believe it and that you're vocalizing it. And if there's somebody nearby, make sure that you say it to them. You ready? This is the day the Lord has made. And your part? Oh, I think I heard you say it. I heard some of you say, we will rejoice and be glad in it. Let us taste and see that the Lord is good. Ah. Good stuff. All right, back to Ecclesiastes. So let's look as we continue in chapter 7. And uh, here is what he says. Oops, did it again. (laughs) Technology. tell you, technology can be your friend. It can also be crazy. All right, chapter 7, verse 15. 
Solomon says, I have seen everything during my lifetime of futility. Now just pause there for a minute. A couple things jump out to me from that. Uh, First of all, he says, I have seen everything. I've seen it all. (laughs) Do you sometimes think, I've seen it all? There are very few things that really surprise us. Yeah, but Solomon, he seemed to see it all in different ways. And and I love, he, he, he observes things. I'm challenged by Solomon to stop and really see what's going on in the world. Remember, Solomon had this God-given wisdom, but he used it. He employed it, and he searched everything under the sun. I was uh, studying Proverbs with my son last Friday, and we read the uh, the portion in 1 Kings, I believe it's chapter 4, where it talks about uh, God giving Solomon wisdom and how Solomon pursued knowledge in botany and um, animal life, as well as, uh, and he wrote books on these things, on biology, all these things. Apparently he wrote, he wrote a lot of this down that we, we just don't have. And he taught and people would come from all over the world to hear him teach on all these things. And you know, like in the Proverbs, he uses very vivid, vivid metaphors like uh, go to the ant, O sluggard. And you think, oh, he just you know came up with a simple metaphor, sure, but how did he, uh, how, how did he decide that ants are not lazy? Well, he watched them. He 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 took the time to observe. We've seen that in Ecclesiastes already. He pursued life with full, with eyes wide open, full ambition, seeing what really is there in life, seeing what's happening, seeing this world that God made for everything it has. Now, he was doing it to see if there's any purpose, any meaning, um, but he looked, he looked, you know, uh, this is what drove science for generations. All the great scientists of the medieval period uh, were, were, were Christians, at least they were theists. They were seeking to discover this world God had made. It's no accident that, uh, that science is gone crazy. It's, it's haywire. It's no longer science. It's no longer the pursuit of truth and knowledge. It's become so political and agenda-driven. It's because we've lost our bearings as a scientific culture. We're no longer pursuing to understand this world that God made, who, who made it with order and routine and what we call the laws of nature. Those are all just God doing what God does. Well, we've lost God. We've left him behind. And now uh, we, we just have this chaos, this disorderly pursuit. And, and that's what gives rise to all this craziness we see in the name of science today. Uh, Christians should care about truth and seeking to know what the world that God has created really consists of. And we do a lot of that through observation. And Solomon here says, I observed. I have seen. I've seen everything. I've looked at everything. And that challenges me to uh, to be more observant at behaviors of people, behaviors of animals, uh, just things. And uh, anyway, so I, I just, I, I want to challenge you with that. Uh, don't let life just pass you by and don't waste your life on uh, lesser important things. Take a look, see what's going on in the world. He says, hey, Curtis, you're late, but we're we're glad you're here. Uh, he said, I've seen everything in my lifetime of futility. All right, so here's a little pop quiz for you who have been around since uh, the beginning. This word futility, it's our Hebrew word uh, hebel. Do you remember 
what this word means. It's the same word as uh, vanity or meaninglessness that uh, we saw other places. Can anybody remember what the uh, the the root of the word means? What what the core uh, of this word vanity is? Anybody? Come on, impress me. Let me know you've been paying attention. It's it's the same word. I, oh, I want to give you a, a hint, but that would be that'd be cheating. Uh, this lifetime of futility, of meaninglessness, of vanity. What's the word? What's the uh, uh, yes, thank you, Dale. Vapor or mist. Same word he's been using over and over again. He says, this life of mine that has little substance is just there and then it starts dissipating. He said, during this time of vapor, uh, I've seen it all. And here's something he observed. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. Have you observed that? Have you seen that? Do you know some people that, at least from your perspective, they are living good lives, they love the Lord, they're ordering themselves well, they're obedient, and they just die young. You know, teenager, early 20s, early 30s, what, what, I guess it depends on your age, what premature death looks like. But we know people like that, right? I mean, this, this started way, way back. Remember a man named Abel? He's called Righteous Abel in the scripture. He came to the Lord in faith with his offering, and he died young. He was murdered by his brother. And that's a a strong, almost extreme example. But we all know people that we think, oh, Lord, why? They were living so well. And then the opposite is true as well, isn't it? It's not hard for you to think of someone who, from everything we can observe, they're just evil, they're wicked, they're corrupt, and they live a long time in their wickedness, and they seem to prosper, they seem to experience blessing after blessing. What do we do with that? What's what's the proper response to that? Solomon's response is a little bit surprising. And it is a little bit dangerous if we don't uh, really hone into what he's getting at. So here's what he says, verse 16, his response. Do not be excessively righteous and do not be overly wise. Why should you ruin yourself? Do not be excessively wicked and do not be a fool. Why should you die before your time? So it appears at first glance that what Solomon's getting at is, uh, since this, uh, this, this odd situation occurs where some of the righteous die early and some of the wicked live long lives, just don't go out of your way to be too righteous and you, know, don't, and you can be wicked, just don't be excessively wicked. That seems to be what he's saying. And some have drawn that conclusion as though Solomon is saying, it's okay to be a little wicked. You know, it's okay to get drunk some, and it's okay to commit fornication some, and it's okay to steal some, and it's okay to, to you know, be violent some, so long as you don't go too far with it. Uh, no, that is not what Solomon is getting at, and that is not the conclusion we should draw. Solomon is not ever going to say that it's truly okay before God to be wicked. Uh, he talks a little bit like this in other places, and he 
he he's he's very sort of common sense wisdom oriented in this book, right? We've seen that. And he wants people to think. And he's looking at things as they are, not as we wish they were. But he does come back to the fact that you can choose, you can do what you're doing, but remember, you're going to be judged. Look what he, he says in chapter 11. Here it is in verse 9. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood. Rejoice when you're young. Let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Right? This is, this is every uh, graduation uh, speech ever. Follow your heart. Go live life. The world is your oyster. Just take charge of it and do whatever you want. Don't let anybody tell you no. He says, do that. Great. And look at the uh, last sentence here, verse 9. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. <laughs> Go ahead, live it up, but you will stand before God someday. And then remember what he said at the end of the book. This is at the end of chapter 12. The conclusion when all has been heard is fear God, keep his commandments, because this applies to every person, for God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Solomon knows there is a judge watching and our actions matter and they're going to be taken into account in judgment. So I don't think that he is uh, saying here, it's okay to pursue some wickedness, just don't overdo it. Alon here says, uh, the righteous man perishes and is taken away from evil. He enters into peace. Uh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's no doubt. We, uh, when a righteous man dies prematurely, quote unquote, uh, he, he goes to be with the Lord. That's what we know now from, uh, from Paul's writing and others, which is a great thing. But Solomon's not really looking at the afterlife. So this, uh, Lon, that's a great statement for us as Christians, and it's true. And that's, that's one of the ways we take comfort when we see, especially loved ones, who, uh, who die prematurely, die because of others committing evil against them. Yeah, they're in a better place. It, it, makes it, it's, it doesn't make it easy. It's still hard on our end, but they're in a much better place. And that is absolutely true. But Solomon here is, is looking at sort of an earthy, common sense level, I think. And I want to try to show you what I, what I believe he's saying. So back to uh, chapter 7. Let me get back over there. So do not be excessively righteous. Do not be overly wise. Why should you ruin yourself? Again, that sounds like don't go too far in trying to be righteous because you're, you're going to ruin yourself. That, that's the word that is translated here. You're going you're to destroy yourself being all righteous. Just be sort of righteous. Just be enough righteous where it doesn't hurt. Eh, that's, that's not what he's saying. Uh, let me show you from the Hebrew uh, maybe a, a little different viewpoint. So here in the Hebrew... So right here in verse 16, why should you ruin yourself? If you see when I hover over and it shows you the, uh, the Hebrew word shamim, if I go over here and, and highlight that, come down to the definition, sort of dictionary 1A definition toward the bottom here. It says to be desolate or to be appalled. That's what's, what this word shamam means, to be appalled. Uh, that seems to fit much better the flow and the context. Don't be excessively righteous or overly wise. Why should you be appalled? Now hold that thought. We'll come back to it in a minute. Now I'm going to flip over to the Septuagint. Remember the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. 
And here's how it translates it. Do you see there at the bottom? This word uh, at the bottom here, do not, uh, it means to be amazed. To be amazed or shocked or astonished. It's used over and over again in the Old Testament to mean shocked or astonished. So what if that's what Solomon means rather than ruining? Do not be excessively righteous or overly wise. Why should you be astonished? Why should you be appalled? Why should you be shocked? That seems to fit the context better. I think that's what he's getting at. So in that situation, what he's saying is, don't be excessively wise, meaning, uh, whoops, wrong verse. You will be shocked if you're pursuing righteousness and wisdom thinking that you will prolong your life absolutely and then you're shocked and appalled and amazed when actually you die prematurely. I think that's what he's getting at. So is it possible to be too righteous, to be excessive in our righteousness and wisdom? Yes, if we are convinced that life is like a uh, an equation, A plus B equals C. Uh, 2 plus 2 equals 4. Well, 2 plus 2 always equals 4. But <laughs> if we think enter in these variables and this is going to be the outcome, if we have sort of the, um, uh, you know, the engineer's perspective that this plus this always equals that, uh, Solomon's saying, no, you're going to be shocked. You're going to be uh, embarrassed. You're going you're, you're to come to an end that's going to that's going to appall you uh, because we see that. And he has already made the case it's better to be wise. Wisdom will preserve your life, he says, but not in every case. This gets back to what we saw yesterday. God in his hard providence sometimes uh, brings a righteous person to uh, a premature death, so to speak. That shouldn't shock us. If you are pursuing righteousness because you are convinced this is a guarantee of a long, prosperous life. Then you're going to be you're going to be surprised and and uh, frustrated. Now, does it often lead to that? Yes. And should we generally expect the outcome? Yes. But again, we always submit ourselves to the will of God and recognize He will interrupt the normal course of things to get our attention. Uh, to make sure that we are submitting to his will, not to our own um, control and, and wisdom and so on. Uh, Curtis says, uh, Job posed similar questions. Yeah, and Job, Job had every reason to, didn't he? I mean, he was righteous. He was pursuing God with every fiber of his being, it seems. And great, horrible things happen. I don't mean great good. I mean great and astounding. Uh, with his kids, and his kids were presumably righteous, and yet they died young. And Paul just, or Job just doesn't understand why, Lord, why. Uh, Curtis says again, uh, why do the wicked live, reach old age, and grow mighty in power? Yep. And Habakkuk, if you remember, the prophet said the same thing. Lord, he, he was angry. He's frustrated with the Lord. Lord, why? Why do the wicked prosper? And why do the righteous suffer? If you remember that story, Habakkuk is saying um, he, he doesn't understand why uh, wicked people in Israel are allowing it to prosper and why the righteous are suffering. And then God says, I'm going to bring this unrighteous people and destroy 
the nation of Israel. And Habakkuk says, whoa, 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 you can't do that. God says, watch me. Israel is not as righteous as you think. Um, it's, uh, it's a question that a lot of people ask. Uh, and we don't have all the right answers, but and we, don't, we don't understand it all. We don't understand God's providence, but we need to trust him. Uh, Sopgu says, you can do everything right, but God determines the outcome. Exactly. Exactly. So you are to pursue righteousness. We all are. But just not so that we're convinced it always leads to the same, uh, same positive outcome. Conversely, uh, he's warning those who are wicked, who observe that, uh, hey, there's lots of wicked people that, I'm not sure why that showed up in your screen. Um, <laughs> there's lots of wicked people that, uh, that live long lives. So God must be not paying attention. There really aren't consequences to our evil actions. And he says, do not be excessively wicked and do not be a fool. Why should you die before your time? Uh, you can lead to uh, great peril and, and ultimate peril if you pursue wickedness. Verse 18, it is good that you grasp one thing, one of these extremes, and also not let go of the other. For the one who fears God comes forth with both of them. So pursue righteousness, but it's not a, a guarantee of a long, prosperous life. If you pursue wickedness, you may find that uh, you're not in that category that lives a long, prosperous life in your wickedness. You may find that you bring um, death upon yourself. You, you, you know, you become an alcoholic and, and drunk and druggy and, and you die. Uh, you kill yourself. You run with the wrong crowd, a violent crowd, and you find yourself in a, in a fight, in a gang fight, and, and you die. Uh, you commit adultery, fornication. Uh, you rouse the, uh, the ire of a, a spouse or um, get a, a deadly disease, whatever. Uh, you know, just some extreme examples here. Go for it, but it may turn out very differently than you think. And as we've already seen, there is final judgment to come. <clears throat> so does that mean wisdom does no good? Of course not. Verse 19, wisdom strengthens a wise man more than 10 rulers who are in a city. Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. That's important. So, so Solomon, again, through this whole book, he wants to make sure that we don't uh, lose sight of God's sovereignty. What he bends, you can't straighten. And ultimately, wisdom can't save you, but it's better to be wise. <laughs> and here he says, wisdom is, is better than 10 rulers. It gives you more strength than 10 rulers. Think about how dependent we become on our politicians, on our government, on the rulers of our city. And they perpetuate that, don't, don't they? Uh, I think it was Francis Schaeffer. I think I heard uh, R.C. Sproul say years ago that he was in a private conversation with uh, Francis Schaeffer. And, he, and they were talking about uh, the greatest threats to the church and to society at the time. This was, I think, back in maybe the 60s or 70s, somewhere there. And Dr. Schaefer said to R.C. Sproul, his greatest concern was statism. That our culture would elevate the state, the government, to a place of, of God. And, and give in to the state and, and, and hand over all of our rights and, and depend on the state uh, as our caregiver. And boy, is that coming true. He was, he was a prophet, right? He, he saw where this was all heading. And the government perpetuates that. 
Every level of government, it seems, is pushing more and more to make us dependent on them, to look to them to take care of us, to educate us, uh, way beyond what uh, the government is supposed to do. And we can easily get sucked into that. And Solomon here says, wisdom, wisdom strengthens a wise man more than 10 rulers who are in a city. At the end of the day, we are not dependent on our government. We must not turn over our well-being and our lives and our education and everything else uh, to, to these leaders. Pursue wisdom. You'll get way more strength. And then verse 20, there's not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. The, the state officials, government, local officials, federal government, they, they want to present themselves as, as knowing everything and, and being righteous. Well, we're fools. Even, we're fools to believe they are. Even those who are quote-unquote on our team. I hear Christians just get sucked into the conservatives as though uh, you know Republicanism and conservatism and, uh, and the right-wing folks in government, we can trust them and, and they're righteous and they're good. Uh, don't be a fool. Don't be foolish. I could go on and on, and some of you have been around a long time to see all this. Uh, so-called conservatives, when they've had plenty of power, when they've had control of all three branches of the government, um, have squandered it, and so many prove that they're not all that different from their liberal counterparts. There are exceptions, don't get me wrong. And I don't mean this to be overly political here, uh, although I think we, we should uh, be engaged in politics and government to, uh, to vote people in who really do have a concern for righteousness and don't want to take over our lives and so on. But it's easy to, to be persuaded that uh, there are certain people who are, uh, we can trust them. Well, wisdom would say, be cynical, whether it's the media, the, the politicians, there's good reason to assume that most of them are, uh, are pursuing an agenda that is different from what they say out loud. Uh, that may seem over harsh and critical. Uh, and again, I know there are exceptions, but uh, we, we got to remember our leaders, our, our lawmakers, they're unrighteous people. Wisdom will give you more strength than the government ever could. Pursue wisdom, he says. And then I do want to look at verse 21 and 22 quickly. Another benefit of wisdom. Also, do not take seriously all the words which are spoken so that you will not hear your servant cursing you. For you also have realized that you likewise have many times cursed others. Wisdom causes us to not get uh, too bent out of shape when we hear uh, people under our authority, people who... uh, who depend on us when we hear them cursing us. Don't give too much credence to what other people say about you. Uh, 